Discretion is advised. This is the Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori, and we're going to keep you up all night. seen you in a bajillion gazillion years. I know it has been a really really long time and we apologize for that but. Our last episode went up like I think December 9th or something. Yeah it's been. And then Miss Rona came to town and stayed she <laughs> sure a did. long time. She sure did. She yeah. went through the family, mm-hmm. the everybody everybody was quarantined. Eventually yeah. I don't think Courtney got it. But Courtney is shaking her head. Knock on some wood, Courtney, please. We love you. There we go. Yeah, but I had had it. You had it. Mm -hmm. The kid had it. So many toodles had it. Everybody had it. And I feel like I didn't really know anybody who had had it, like, generally speaking, this whole time. Same. I I feel like our whole circle avoided this thing for two years. Yeah. And then... Came back with vengeance. Pow. Yeah. Which, I mean, I was looking at some of the maps and stuff, right? And, like, we live in Massachusetts, and it was, like, it was a all different color blue. Massachusetts was the one really dark blue state. Like, we <laughs> yeah. just, we could not get around. I feel like because it was really bad in New York, like, a couple weeks before that. And that just migrated right to we, us. We held it off for a long time, and I we think uh, Omicron was like, mm. That's enough of that. Mm-mm. Yeah. I'm coming. Yeah. And so, between that, the holidays... Mm-hmm. And then everybody kept getting it. Like, so then one yeah. branch of the family would be recovering and then mm-hmm. another one would test positive exactly. and then we have to quarantine again. Mm-hmm. And then it would throw our whole schedule off because we only have right. like once a month that we can really just get out all, yeah. get all our episodes done. Mm-hmm. Long story short. Yes. Um, we're going to, yeah, we are going to get an episode up by, yes. Soon. Maybe. Maybe February, maybe beginning of February. <laughs> I'm not sure when this one's going up, but right. it's 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 yeah. been a minute. There may well, you'll know, there may be no listening. January episode. I don't think this one is <laughs> right. going to get up in January, but that's okay. Which, that's all right. It was not planned, but that's just fine. But we took a hiatus. Turns out, <laughs> yeah, an accidental holiday COVID hiatus. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was rough. But I think we we just wrapped it up. My son mm-hmm. had it. He was. I think he's the last one. I haven't. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone else. Well. Mm-mm. We're not going to say anything. We're not going <laughs> to jinx her. But. but yeah, thankfully, I mean, I was vaccinated and boosted. So same. I had like very, very minimal symptoms. Um, same for my yeah. boyfriend, really. We mostly just had kind of like stuffy noses. So that's, yeah, John was sick for a couple of days. Yeah. Like really didn't feel well. He's, he doesn't get sick very often. So yeah. Um, yeah. I hadn't been sick for years before this. No, same. Because of masks. It was great. It was wonderful. I'm always going to wear masks. I don't care. I and, love it. And it keeps my face warm in the cold. Literally, don't look at my face. Step one. That helps a lot. In the winter, keeps my face all warm. I don't understand how this is a, a bad situation. Yeah. And then I and I don't have to have people breathe on me or look mm-hmm. upon me. Exactly. 
Those are two least favorite things. I'm a fan. Right. I hate people looking at me and breathing on me. Also, I'm okay with not leaving my house. Yeah. So. Yeah, that generally is fine with me as well. I discovered delivery services. Mm, so. As did we all, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where all our workers went. A hundred percent. To DoorDash and Instacart. Yeah, unfortunately a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is now. Different but we're world. all feeling better and yeah. in the same room and we are no longer yeah. ill. Plague mm-hmm. afflicted and quarantined. Mm-hmm. And it's 2022. It is 2020 also. Which no, is like, I'm sorry. it's a fake year. <laughs> like those, that doesn't sound like a real number no. to me at all. In and any it's, way. Uh, I was sad about Betty White, man. That's, that was rough. I realized she was 99, but it still felt like she went she too soon. She was too young. Yeah. She couldn't make it to 100. That's what really blows, I think. That hurts. Someone said that about her. When, you know you've lived a good life when mm-hmm. you pass at 99 and people still feel like it was too soon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. Do you want to talk do, about something that's not wonderful? Do you. Is this a podcast? I don't remember how. Hmm. How does it work? Because I haven't yeah. done it in a long time. I talk. You talk. You talk, I talk. I talk. Yeah. And then you talk. Mm-hmm. And then Courtney will record. Yes. Okay. We'll do that. Let's yeah, do that. usually we do um, between six and eight podcasts before the podcast. Yeah, we did a, we did a lot of podcasts, pre-podcasts today. Well, we missed so many episodes of our pre-podcast in the last, like, six yeah. weeks, right? So we just, we had to, you know. And also we had to have chicken pot pie. And we did have to potato have. potato casserole. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then we're thinking about the ricotta pie that we're going to have after this. Have. Which is pretty important, I will say, to yeah. me as well. Really got to see the finish line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine the goal that you have. We only podcast. We're just in it for the food at this point. Let's be honest. I'm yeah. in everything for the food. <laughs> I have a job so that I can have food. Exactly. I come here for the food. Exactly. We make the podcast for the food. 150%. All right. So do you want to hear a story that um isn't fun or exciting or good? Sure. All right, I'm first, right? We Is talk this going to make me now. not let my kid out of the house again? Yeah, but it might also not, you might not also want to let your kid, like, in the house. Like, it's all bad everywhere. Oh, all the time. no. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's terrible. But um, today we're heading to, I believe, Henrico, Virginia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I asked Google. Google said Henrico. But then I was watching, like, a local news thing, and they said Henrico. So I'm saying it wrong. Basically, no matter yeah. how I say it, I wouldn't trust I Google. I sometimes I've gotten those pronunciations and they're exactly. not how people yeah. say them. I hope that the Virginia news people know how to pronounce the counties in Virginia, and if they don't, then they've screwed me over. And you just reminded me that I forgot to look up how to pronounce something in mind, <laughs> so we'll find out when we get there. Yay! I'm probably gonna screw it up, and I good. Apologize. I'm looking forward to that. That's nice. my favorite part of the episode, Woo-hoo. actually, mystery pronunciations. So today we're gonna be talking about the mysterious disappearance of Brittany Renee Williams. So in 1993, Rosemarie Thompson gave birth to her daughter, Brittany Renee Williams, and just three months before, she discovered that she had contracted AIDS and Brittany was born HIV positive. Mm. Yeah. Rose took her daughter to the hospital where they both received treatment for the disease, and that's where the two met a woman named Kim Parker. 
According to Rose's half-sister, Brenda Martin, Kim pounced on the small family, offering to do anything that she could for them. She just wanted to Red help flag. out. I mean, like, we're three Red sentences flag. in, and yeah. you already know, like, Kim is not, yep. it's not a good situation it's, with Kim. It's not, it's a Hallmark movie, and it's not going to go well. <sighs> That's pretty much exactly. Or a Lifetime, Lifetime movie. Lifetime, lifetime. yeah. Lifetime. No, Hallmark means, I think, you have to get back together with your high school boyfriend, yeah. and also somehow he's Santa Claus. Right. So that's not the vibes we're going with today. Um, this is definitely more lifetime situation, unfortunately. But that is kind of like my whole side of the podcast. My husband calls it the um, bludgeoning channel. And he's correct. Like That's he said, very accurate. He said every woman, every, every film on Lifetime should be called, she thought she could trust him, but he bludgeoned her to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucked up and so accurate. But sometimes it's a woman she thought she could trust. Sometimes, yeah. She thought she could trust her, but she bludgeoned her to death. Yeah. But first stole all of her money or something to that effect. Yeah. Not great. Not great. So Kim told Rose about her charity that she operated called Rainbow Kids. Rainbow Kids was an independent foster home that Kim ran out of her home and had... and what is in the, okay, first of all, yeah. independent independent foster home? foster home. Yes. So you just take kids. You just take kids independently of any and government agency. The money that comes to the kids, <laughs> most importantly. Yes. So she'd apparently taken in as many as fifty children. I don't think at once. Not a very big house, yeah. but I don't fucking know, honestly. Um, so she'd taken in as many as fifty children during the charity's time in operation, and most of the children had serious medical issues or developmental disabilities. So it's all these different kids that have all these different needs that she's taking care of in this group home that she's created out of her own house. In 1996, when Brittany was just three years old, Rose decided to take up Kim's offer to take care of Brittany for her as Rose's own health was deteriorating. Like I said, she had AIDS, so this is pretty common, especially during this time. But you know, maybe time. after three years, if you've known this person, yeah, you might think, right, like right away when she met them, but like after right. three years. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess... Man, she's um, playing the long game. She sure was, yeah. So I guess Brittany, like, during her life, she had been in and out of, like, short-term kind of foster situations. So as Rose's health is getting worse and worse, she decides to just give custody completely to Kim um, so she'll be able to take care of her. And unfortunately, pretty soon after, Rose did pass away, um, which is really sad for Brittany. Kim began collecting Britney's Social Security and Medicaid benefits, and soon, like I said, Rose passed away. Around the same time, Kim began a publicity campaign for her charity to solicit donations to help the children that were in her care. She then started making upgrades to her home, totaling about $18,000. Weird. Very interesting timing, which, like, I can see... Okay, if you have a group home operating in your house, I can see that there would be upgrades that you would need to make. Mm -hmm. But based on all the articles that I read, this isn't like, oh, she put in a wheelchair ramp and made her shower accessible. I think she just said, wouldn't it be great if my house was nicer? You know what I mean? (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if I had a spa bath in the master? (laughs) I think that's kind of the vibes that I'm getting. And I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I understood was going on here. Unfortunately, many people who knew Kim apparently called Child Protective Services about Rainbow Kids with concerns of potential neglect and concern of potential maltreatment of some of the children that were living there, Mm. which is just like, these kids already have all of these additional needs. It frustrates me every time I hear a story where people who know this person are sounding the alarm and no one does anything. 
So unfortunately today, the findings of any social services investigators were marked confidential and have since been destroyed. So it's impossible to say exactly what it may have been like for the children that Kim took custody of. Not good, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, don't they're on this good. podcast, so. They're on this podcast, so definitely not not good at all. Because it seems like she was really just taking their money and then being like, well, you'll be fine. I feel like that happens a lot in foster care, even in the not independent ones. Unfortunately, I think that you're right, which is awful, awful, awful. Like, these kids can't even have their regular needs taken care of. You know what I mean? Never mind everything else that they already have going on. It's really awful. Brittany's aunt Brenda continued to visit her at Kim's house, where she said she was still a very vibrant child, though the situation at Kim's was not great. She said that while the house looked nice enough on the outside, the inside was a different story. It was just a mess. It was not clean, Brenda said later, which is that's that's rough situation for those kids to be in. Brenda also said that at just seven years old, Brittany was acutely aware of her illness. Once when Brenda was visiting her, Brittany cut her hand on a plate and Brenda offered to help, but Brittany declined. She said, no, you can't do that because of the blood. I'll take care of it. So really young to have to have this kind of awareness, you know, about the fact that she was HIV positive, which just is so difficult. I can only imagine. In August of 2000, Kim called Brenda and told her something shocking. She said that she couldn't handle Brittany anymore and that she was apparently flirting with men who were coming to work on the house, which she's seven years old. Mm -hmm. This is not, there's no way that this is happening. Like this is clearly just an outright lie. Yeah. Kim apparently told Brenda she's going to be like her mother. She also told her that Brittany had lived longer than she had expected her to live, which is like the absolute fucking grossest thing I've ever heard to say about a seven-year-old child that you're taking custody of to take care of her because her own mother couldn't do it because she was sick and passed away. Like, really, really awful. Since Brittany was too much, Kim told Brenda that she would have to adopt her or Kim was going to send Brittany away to live with two women in California, Linda Hodges and Kathy Evans. Brenda said she would watch Brittany more often, but with three kids of her own, she wouldn't be able to adopt her. And Kim apparently said, well, you're too late since she'd already sent Brittany to California, but wouldn't give Brenda any other information. Brenda asked if she'll be able to keep in touch with Brittany, but Kim refused to give her the contact information for Linda and Kathy. So very sketchy already. I need you to adopt her. No, I can't. Well, good. It's too late. She already lives in California. (laughs) That's very, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. Brenda then tried to go to Kim's house to talk to her about Brittany's whereabouts, but no one answered. She continually tried to call Kim, but not got no response for that either. That fall, Brittany didn't show up to school. Kim was then arrested for truancy, but when she told the judge that Brittany had moved in with relatives and Kim was no longer taking care of her, they dropped the charges. I mean, nobody says, hmm, that seems like something you shouldn't just be able to do. You can't just, like, pass kids around. Like, there's laws, custody. That's not how this stuff works. But why didn't her Aunt Brenda call the police and say, hey, my niece is missing? You know what I mean? Like, she's a little bit... Yeah, I got my questions about her too because you're still you're a relative. You might be able to. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Someone will make me take her and take care of her. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like nobody in this situation was really like super capable of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just seems really tough for everybody in this family, which is really unfortunate. But yeah, I also think it's really interesting that like you just say to the judge, no, I don't, she lives somewhere else now. And they're like, oh, okay. Like she's a kid. 
you gotta keep track of yeah, that. Yeah, she's seven. Yeah, like she didn't say, I'm gonna go to Hollywood and be a star. <laughs> like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. No. According to Kim, Linda returned with Britney Christmas of that year, and Kim paid her $3,000 cash to keep Britney, and then she mailed her another $5,000 later, but claimed that she hadn't heard from either Linda or Britney after that. Which is, you're just selling kids? That's fucking weird. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't... Or you're paying somebody else to take your kid? I don't... Very, very strange. I don't understand it. The following year, Kim was apparently supposed to bring Britney to a... for a paternity test, and when she didn't, she was summoned to court again. Once again, she told this judge that Brittany was now living with relatives, and it seemed like no one really followed up with it again. They were like, okay, that's fine. Like, we don't really, that's no big deal. Even though it seemed like, it's clearly still on record that Kim is the one who's supposed to be taking care of Brittany, even though this happened a year ago. Yeah. And yet, nobody cares. It's really frustrating. And what's possibly the most frustrating is that Kim continued to receive Britney's $500 monthly benefit check from the Virginia Department of Children and Families until the following summer, using the money to further renovate her house. So she's still taking these checks for Britney, but nobody knows where she is. Nobody's hearing from her. I mean, these other people supposedly have her, and she's not even sending the money there, so... It's, like, just in, like, these weird lump sums. It, It doesn't make any sense. Then in 2003, now three years after Brenda had last seen her niece, a newspaper reporter decided to do a follow-up story. And when Kim told her the same story, Brittany doesn't live here anymore, the reporter decided to finally do the same thing and alert social services. So this is the first time somebody is saying, like, this is fucked up. Like, somebody needs to be doing something about this. Well, that happens. I know we did a story when we first did the podcast way back in, like, the teens or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was a reporter who found out the information. Like, the police didn't want to hear about it. Yeah. The law enforcement. And there was a story recently, ESPN, a college student 15 years ago was murdered. Mm -hmm. And the family and the friends were saying, we're pretty sure we know who did it. And they were trying to get help. The police didn't investigate. They closed the case. They said, we can't figure it out. We don't know. ESPN did an investigation last year and gathered all this evidence to prove it was one of his teammates, interviewed people, gathered all this physical, and sent it to the police department and announced on ESPN that they had done this investigation and forced them to reopen it, and the guy got arrested. That's so so infuriating. It is, but like reporters, people bash, but they do like real investigative work. Yeah, investigative work, like they are not messing around, and I like the work that they do is really impressive i think and i know law enforcement they've got a lot going on but i mean missing kid though that, that's why pete you know yeah his parents are paying taxes for for that reason yeah that's what you're supposed to do exactly so yeah you should be embarrassed that it took an espn reporter to do your job for you really you should 15 years later absolutely 100 percent. yeah that's really frustrating so this time, a judge ordered police to actually open up a case to investigate what had happened to Brittany Renee Williams. Shocking. And it's But now three years later, yeah. you know, they say it's the first like 24 or 48 hours or whatever that are the most important, especially with a missing child. Well, this is way more than that. You know what I mean? Like she could be literally anywhere in the world at this point. Kim did nothing to help the investigation, surprise, surprise, and was held in contempt of court for 20 days for not telling the police where Brittany was or producing her in court, which is what they wanted her to actually do. 
the Henrico County police tracked down the two women whom Kim had claimed had taken Brittany in California, but the two women, who were volunteers for Rainbow Kids, Inc., had planned to have Brittany come visit them, but she disappeared before the scheduled visit, so it had never happened. So Brittany did not go to California to stay with them, clearly. So at some, somewhere, Kim is not telling the truth. We know that much. Then there was a nationwide search for Brittany, but by now, like I said, she'd been missing for three years. A neighbor of Kim's claimed that she had reported her twice for abusing and or neglecting specifically Brittany, not even including whatever had gone on with all the other kids that were staying there. The police got a search warrant to search Parker's home, citing the possibility of child murder, abduction, and child neglect. They brought in cadaver dogs to try to find the evidence of Brittany's body, and even went so far as to dig up Kim's entire yard and her septic tank, but didn't find anything. They said, it's just dirt. But I mean, finally, they're actually looking for Brittany, like genuinely, but after so long, I mean, a lot of evidence probably would have disappeared if something had happened in the house. They were specifically concerned that Brittany's body might have ended up in a concrete slab, but no evidence of her was ever found. It was difficult for police to see a scenario in which Brittany was still alive. The attorney who would eventually prosecute Kim, Mike Feinmel, said he distinctly remembers a doctor looking at him and saying, she's not going to live much longer if she's not getting this medication. Because she was HIV positive, she needed a lot of different treatments that she didn't seem like she was getting. Though no evidence could ever be found of Brittany's whereabouts, Kim was indicted on 73 counts of fraud, including for donations she received for the care of the Rainbow Kids' children. She was also charged with Medicaid fraud. Kim had received over $16,000 in social security payments that were meant for Brittany, and that was only after she had told Brenda that Brittany wasn't staying in her care anymore. Never mind all of the money that she got when Brittany was still living with but her. But honestly, not to shift the blame, I don't feel like Brenda did anything. Yeah, I don't, I think it's hard to know exactly what the scenario was with Brenda, and like, I'm not sure. I, I would hope in that situation, your aunt would help, you know what I mean? Or call somebody and say, yeah. look, this is, and she just sent my niece, can someone find out if that actually happened? Right. Yeah. And where they are, because it seems weird to me that yeah. Yeah. you're getting paid to take but, care of a child and you just shunted her off somewhere and her only living relative can't know where she is. Right, right. But at the same time, she's getting called into court for this and then everybody says, oh, that's fine. You know? So I'm not sure, even if Brenda had done more, maybe she did. I'm thinking maybe if somebody else... Yeah. I feel like sometimes the powers that be care as much as you make them care. Like if yeah. nobody else cares, we don't care. We got other Maybe. stuff to do. Yeah. But, and I'm not saying she would have even known how, but I would l like to think. Yeah. If all of a sudden I couldn't, and one of my nieces and nephews and they said. I would like to think that as well. As well yeah. As your nieces. Yeah. I'll say, mm, I'm going to need more details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Kim took a plea deal and admitted to one count of mail fraud and one count of wire fraud, was also convicted of one count of state Medicare fraud. She received a, a sentence of 10 years, one that was much longer than the state guidelines recommended for the types of crime she was convicted for, which is typically 10 to 16 months. So they clearly like, they're, they're thinking she's 100% responsible for whatever she happened to, to Brittany. She went to jail for fraud, but really murder. Right, this is a bit of like an OJ Simpson situation. Yeah. I think that they're like, okay, we know what happened here. So we're going to make this, you know, as big as possible. At the very least, we're assuming manslaughter. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Linda Hodges, one of the women in California that had supposedly taken custody of Brittany, said the sentence wasn't long enough. She said, I think she used people, used their hearts, which like she was a volunteer for Rainbow Kids, right? So yep. she clearly had some faith in Kim at some point. Yeah. 
Recently, it's been assumed that Brittany Williams is dead, though it's still entirely unknown what happened to her or how exactly she went missing. Cold Case Detective Lieutenant Kevin Howdyshell is frustrated by the police's inability to give Brittany's friends and family closure. As of 2019, the Cold Case Unit continues to follow up on every single lead they get for Brittany's case. Brenda said, It just breaks my heart. It really does. A childhood friend of Brittany's named Sarah Minter, who lived just down the street from Kim's home, said, It didn't really hit me until I got older, and you realize how cruel the world can be. There needs to be justice for Brittany and what happened to her. Last summer, a woman named Kaylin Stevenson decided that she wanted to research her own biological history as she'd been adopted when she was seven years old and lived with her adoptive family in Ohio. She said she had very few memories of her childhood before her adoption. The last name Williams was stuck in the back of her mind, as well as a pink pastel room and the friendship of a sweet nonverbal boy who was in a wheelchair. This is kind of the only thing that she can remember from before she was adopted. When she came upon Brittany Renee Williams' missing flyer, she said she stopped cold. Their faces were strikingly similar and each had a mole on their neck, as well as many medical scars that Kaylin had never been able to explain. Caitlin noted that she and Brittany had the same hairline, the same smile, the same eyes. She told her wife, I know me when I see me and that's me. Caitlin contacted the Henrico police and an investigation began. They were unsure though about whether or not Caitlin really was Brittany. For one, Caitlin did not have HIV or AIDS, even though she donated blood in the past and she had had a child and had had lots of blood work done and had never been tested positive for but HIV I wonder or AIDS. if Brittany didn't either really because <sighs> yeah that could be something someone was saying she had right because i don't think you're necessarily um i remember a story of one woman that she'd had hiv one child was born with it but i think one was born with that so i'm not yeah. sure yeah it's you, very strange i could be wrong i could be a wrong lot with it, but yeah a lot of the articles i said that in the 90s when they didn't have effective treatments for hiv mm -hmm. or aids there was a 25 percent possibility of you passing it to your unborn child, basically. Yeah. So I would have assumed, though, that they would have actually tested her. They wouldn't just randomly do a bunch of, you know, medical but work on her. Rose isn't here to speak, and it's true. Brittany isn't. We're, you got the story yeah. from Kim, and it could have been in her financial interest to say she had that. Definitely. Because when she said, I didn't expect her to live this long, she might not have really had the disease. Yeah. And Kim was saying that to get yeah. extra money from Medicaid or. Yeah. It's definitely possible. The police decided not to disclose to Kaylin that Brittany Renee Williams actually had a half-sister, Rose's first daughter, Anastasia McElroy, who had also been adopted. Anastasia was still living in Richmond, Virginia. A reporter from NBC12 tracked down Anastasia and showed her a photograph of Kaylin Stevenson while on her front porch. Anastasia began crying immediately and said, The emotion was so powerful, it kind of took over my entire spiritual being. That the police didn't want to tell Kaylin that Brittany had a half-sister, NBC12 decided to connect the two women. When they met, they clicked instantly, and Kaylin said Anastasia felt just like a big sister to her. The two decided to do their own DNA test while waiting for the results of the investigation. The DNA results came back and said there was a 95.83% chance that Kaylin and Anastasia were maternal half-siblings. Wow. Which is just absolutely insane. That's crazy. Isn't it? It's nuts. Kaylin and Anastasia became very close, and Kaylin, who now goes by Brittany, talks to Anastasia almost every single day. About her, she said, a family member that cares, that genuinely cares, and she looks like me, and her kids look like me. So it sounds like she maybe didn't her, have the best- her adopted situation wasn't, wasn't great. ideal. That's kind of what it sounds like to me, which is really sad, considering how her life began, you know? 
But this is actually as stories go that we tell here. Mm, yeah. She said she no longer wants any ties to her adoptive name since that's not me. I feel like if your adoptive family had been good to you, mm -hmm. you might maybe want to go by the name Brittany, but you wouldn't be opposed to keeping the family name. So yeah. I feel like, yeah. or have your sister call you Brittany and your family call you, I feel right. like it must've been a bad situation because right. yeah. if I found out today, I was, mm -hmm. that the yeah. people I thought my parents weren't my actual parents. Right. And you had a different name before. I mean, I'd want to know who the other people were, but I would be like, hey, this is who I've been so long. So I feel right. like that must have been. Yeah. Yeah. She actually recently appeared on Dr. Phil to tell her story. But on January 21st, 2022, which as of recording is literally two days ago, mm -hmm. Henrico police finally re released the results of their own investigation. They confirmed that Kaylin Stevenson is not the missing child, Brittany Renee Williams, from their investigation. Which, like, I don't, I don't even understand how that's... Like, it, it seems <laughs> so bizarre to me. That? According to Henrico Police Lieutenant Matt Pekka, law enforcement came to these findings after a robust review of medical records, adoption records, consultant consultation with infectious disease physicians, dozens of interviews, and DNA analysis. So they somehow have proved that she's not Brittany Renee Williams, but she seems convinced that she is. 95.83% that's pretty... That seems pretty significant to me. I I don't know enough about Unless, how that works. Well, is she the same age that Brittany would yeah, be now? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, unless she had another child. But, But it you know, sounds like she had children from more than one dad, so would the kid look just like... Right, probably the same not. Mole? Right, exactly. And medical scars and stuff. The only thing that I think makes it, like, ever so slightly fishy is she said she thought that this story would help her to be able to get full custody of her daughter, which I don't actually understand how that would be true. Oh, she has a daughter. She doesn't She does. Yeah. I think she has. I'm not sure what, because I know she has, her family has two daughters. She has one daughter. So I'm not really sure exactly how that comes into play, but they did mention it in the articles. But when NBC 12 talked to Kaylin again, she told him that she was not untruthful in any way. She said that she did everything out of genuine and honest intentions and only proceeded because of the results she received from the DNA test. NBC 12 also reached out to the lab that did the paternity test for Anastasia and Kaylin, as well as Henrico police about their DNA findings, but neither of them would comment. It was kind of like the lab said like, oh, you have to talk to the investigators and the investigators said they can't comment on an independent test. But when they test. said DNA testing, did they test the sister? Yeah. So they compared their two genes and said that there was a 95.83% chance that they were maternal half-siblings. No, but the police, the police... I think so, because they didn't even want to tell Kaylin that she even had a sister. So I think they must have been testing their DNA against each other. So I don't know how they could have gotten these two different results. So Kim Parker is now out of prison, and when a reporter went to her home in South Carolina to ask her about Brittany, she walked back into her house without answering. So even though Kaylin Stevenson seems certain that she was Brittany Renee Williams, she is still officially missing nearly 22 years after she first disappeared. Henrico police say the investigation is still ongoing and ask anyone with information about Brittany to call Crime Stoppers. So that is the very strange case. That is strange. Brittany Renee Williams, yeah. I'm just and gonna like, pretend Kaylin is her. And like that, they just announced that the other day. So like I had done all my research and I was like, oh my goodness, thank God, finally a is this story. Is like the second time in a row this has happened to you? Yes. Like breaking news. No, or, uh, 
it's more than that. At least yes. four times it's happened to you. Like breaking news mm-hmm. right when we're you're about to do a story and you're like, <sighs> great, that ruins the ending. So it's way more depressing See, that's now. That's why I talk about ghosts because they're it's true. they're done. They're done. Yes. You're done. <laughs> you see that? You're done. You're done. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think you picked the right side <laughs> to record on for sure. <sighs> All right, we got That wasn't terrible. Me. That doesn't no. make me fear for my child because we're, you know, not that I'm not empathetic to that story, right. but we're just not in that situation. So, right, right. Um, and I'm hopeful that some, I don't know why. It's not like the random murderer targeting a family type of horrific story. That's that my least favorite kind of heat story. Heat me up at night. Zero out of ten on those stories. Um, so I read two articles from allthatsinteresting.com, both written by Marco Margaridoff, three NBC12 articles, all of them written by Kelly Avellino, an insider article written by Lauren Frias, an article from the AP by Justin Bergman, and um, the article on Brittany Renee Williams from The Charlie Project. Okay, now my half is done. <laughs> so, I've ruined a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's like, you. we should actually have called this podcast Ophelia Ruins Stuff for stuff You. Stuff for You. That yeah. you thought would be fun, but now it isn't. And so I don't know if this is really going to be ruining stuff for you, because I don't know how much you like museums. Oh, a lot. That's great. Mm. Cool. Thanks. Well, they're mostly haunted, apparently. That tracks, actually. That makes perfect sense. We're just going to talk about a few. Well, there... It kind of makes sense, though, actually, because mm-hmm. there there is that theory that things get attached to objects. Yeah. Like spirits can become attached to objects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where do you find historical objects of great importance? In a museum. In a museum, yeah. I bet yeah. the British Museum is haunted like you would not fucking believe. That's on my list. Oh, yes. I'm really excited <laughs> about that. If only they would return the stuff, then maybe it would be less haunted there. Well, they're going to they're gonna not do that. Yes, that's pretty much the British way, isn't it? So... So, yeah. No, it just reminds me of we were talking about Bo Burnham and, and his song mm-hmm. about <laughs> how hard it is to be a white guy. It's so odd. Oh, and one imagine. of the lines is we had all the land and the money and we still do, but it's not as fun. Yeah, exactly. So, that's the British Museum. And that's pretty much how it is. It's like we still have it all, but like people are really upset about it now. Yeah, and now they like tell us that they don't that like it. That hurts our feelings. We don't care for that very much. <laughs> We're not giving it back, to no, be clear. No, to no, be no. clear, we're no way, keeping no the stuff. The only reason they don't have the pyramids is because they're too heavy to move. That's it. That Didn't the they have, reason. like, Ramses the statue at one time? They have huge portions. I think they gave it back. Did they give that one back? I don't know. Only if there was a curse put on them or something, probably. probably. Okay, so we're going to talk about some museums who are haunted. Who are haunted. <laughs> that are haunted. Well, if they are people that are haunted, who are haunted. by whom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first one we're going to talk about is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Also known <gasps> I've as been there. The Met. You have. I have. Yeah, multiple times. With your BFF Taylor Swift or just... No, unfortunately she wasn't there at the same time as me, no. but maybe next but time But you did I hang go. out with her recently. I did hang out with her recently, yeah. So I'm pretty I mean, special for that. I know. But I mean, also 300 other people were there, but still it was like mostly about me and her being there at the same time. Sure. I mean, someone on the Patriots liked one of my tweets once, so you're not really... We are equally famous. We're both famous. Yeah. In our own way. Exactly. In ways that definitely matter a yeah. lot. Yeah, for sure. I think so. hmm 
paranormal experts, Dr. Pete and Dr. Stu. Dr. Pete and Dr. Stu? I mean, they just call themselves paranormal doctors. It's not real names. Not, they're not actual doctors, to be clear. The funniest names I've ever heard in my... Okay, your story they're, can be done now. They're I, ghost. peaked. They're ghost doctors, Tori. Still funny. I feel like you're not taking this as seriously as... I'm not. The subject matter. If you're called Dr. Pete and Dr. Stu, I just can't. Where's Dr. Phil? You know what I mean? Like, it's just too good. Anyway, <laughs> these professional ghost physicians. Well, they're probably not physicians. They're probably ghost PhDs. I'm gonna. I'm just imagining them trying to put, like, a blood pressure cuff on a ghost. It's not working that great. Can't imagine why. Say, ah. Uh, <laughs> uh. See this? We can't really do this in my stories as much. It's they're less. They're way less funny. It's not. It doesn't land the same as when you make fun of a ghost doctor. Sorry. Okay. Pull yourself together. I will eventually stop making fun of every single person in your story. It's just we'll see when. Anyway, these two professionals, <laughs> professional paranormal investigators, have made numerous visits to the Met, equipped with essential. Essential, of course, ghost hunting gear. It's the only thing I bring when I go to the Met. As opposed to the non-essential type. Of course, The yeah. essential type includes EVP monitors, mm-hmm. dowsing rods. Sure, yeah. And, oh, uh, that's it, okay. Okay, all, oh, EVP, all of the two things. Yeah, yes. <laughs> meters and dowsing rods. Great. Do you, think, do you think they have them in a backpack, and then when you get to the Met, they make you wear your backpack backwards so that you don't accidentally hit anything, and it's just two nerdy Dr. Pete and Dr. Well, Stu with their backpacks on front? I I want to know where they got their PhDs. That's what I'm... Me And too. in what? Was it something.com? Ghostology.com. You know? <laughs> Ghost University, <laughs> my degree in <laughs> ghostology. Yeah, that feels right to me. So over the years, they've they keep calling them the doctors. <laughs> maybe they are real doctors, and maybe we shouldn't be making fun of them. Maybe they're real but doctors, funny. and they're like, you know what? I know we're two hundred thousand dollars in debt and mm-hmm. make a lot of money at these careers, but living people suck. They sure as hell do. So let's go. Yep. Talk to dead ones. Who probably also suck sometimes. Probably also suck. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. When people talk about the shitty things ghosts do and their hauntings, I'm like, well, have you met people? Literally, though. I mean, why yeah. would they be less shitty? Have you listened to my stories? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, they're doing effed up stuff alive. Yeah. Why would they not do it when they're dead? Exactly. It's way harder to catch them. That's who we are, folks. 100%. So they've captured some spine-tingling sounds um, coming from the galleries. And in 2013, on a ghost hunting expedition with the Observer, the article where I got the article, ah. the doctors seem to have channeled a spirit in the European Sculpture and Decorative Arts Wing. Elsewhere in the museum at the Henry R. Luce Center for the Study of American Art, the phantom of a young girl has been seen running up and down the halls giggling and chattering, giving unexpected frights to art historians and curators because it's creepy. Yeah. Little of ghost girl. Of course it's creepy. Also, that sounds like if it's just the curators and historians, like the museum is not open. Yeah. So there's just a little girl running down the halls when just only people that work up. at the museum yeah. are there. So no thank you. According to museum lore, she's believed to be the daughter of a long ago employee. The Cleveland Museum of Art in Cleveland, Ohio. I have not been there, with or without no. Taylor Swift. Well, well, you want to know who has been there? Yeah. I'm about to tell you. While curators were busy finalizing the installation of the Cleveland Art Museum's 2015 exhibition, Painting the Modern Garden, Monet to Matisse, 
the famed Impressionist painter of water lilies himself, <gasps> Monet, because I love Monet. Yeah, who doesn't? Him, appears to have paid an unexpected visit. On the balcony overlooking the gallery stood a man with Monet's characteristic salt and pepper beard and a bowler hat. A photo of the figure was snapped by the museum's director of design and architecture, Jeffrey Streen, showing the illusory artist just above a strikingly similar vintage photo of Monet. Wow. So they got a picture, but I couldn't find that actual picture, which is... Damn it, I want to see that so bad. I would just show everybody that picture if I had that. That would become the exhibit. That's my new picture. Exactly. 100%. The Cleveland Museum claims the sighting is the real deal. Soon after the story emerged, Caroline Guskett, communications director for the museum, asked the Cleveland plane dealer, what are the chances someone looks like that and happens to be at the museum the day we're finishing the installation, although prank level mage yeah 110 that is a master prankster yeah actually have you seen there's um there's like a series of photographs i'm sure multiple artists have done it but of like people at museums modern looking, people who look yeah. just like they're i that that is so interesting to me maybe this is that besides monet museum visitors from the afterlife have included the former museum director william matthewson milliken spotted sporting a tweed jacket and wandering the oldest sections of the museum again ghost job why are we still working in the after life i don't even want to work after hours in this i don't want to work in this like no. current life no. the now life it's a burden that it, it really is yeah once again i only really do what i food. want to do because mm -hmm. i started streaming on twitch Woo! i love to play sims yes and me i too. Let me play Sims and inflict this personality on others. Right. Not just in the audio format. So basically, all I want to do is eat, have a little wine, mm -hmm. stream my video games, mm -hmm. do the podcast. I'm what I would watch like that. Exact I know you don't want to watch sports, but pass. I, all the other stuff I will absolutely do. But if so. someone said of the things you you could just do this stuff and not have a job, but you can't watch sports, then I would. Uh, under those circumstances, I'd say, okay, well... I would say, where's the con part of that? Where's the, <laughs> where's downside? the downside? Oh, no! I cannot watch the sports! I can't watch grown men play sports ball. Darn, I hate that! I love sports ball! <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that is also my dream life. A likeness of the subject of Jacques-André Joseph's portrait of Jean-Gabriel Dutille at the signing of the Treaty of Vienna has supposedly been seen gazing at his portrait. Oh. So that was a very long way to say Jean-Gabriel Dutil has been seen looking at his own picture. His own picture. Gotcha. Museum of the Albemarle, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. It's not the new museum building itself, the place hosts to otherworldly denizens. It's the transplanted Jackson House, according to paranormal investigator Mark Anderson of North Carolina Paranormal Research. He told Mental Floss he was first drawn to the site because of some of its antique items. The museum owns several possessions that once belonged to a young woman who was murdered in Elizabeth City, and the crime was never solved. It's number one way to get a ghost, actually. Yeah. Anderson suspected there might be some foundation to rumors of the occult in the area. He explained that Jackson House was first constructed back in the 18th century by a North Carolina family named Jackson. That tracks, Makes actually. Sense. So far, I'm understanding. <laughs> it was dismantled and moved to the Albemarle's 
museum site, but I'm not sure why. And that's where what Anderson described as the major event of his investigation occurred. During a walkthrough in 2013, one of his investigators felt the light prodding. When she asked if there was anything she could do to assist the spirit, the response came back in a man's deep tones, get out. Okay, well, I can do that for and you that's immediately. And that story right ends because I can't, I can't imagine why. I can do that. Oh, my goodness. Bye. I wonder if they just moved it to the museum to become, like, basically an exhibit of a house at that time. Yeah. Like, I know they do that, like, I know you can go and see, like, the little red schoolhouse that's from Little Mary Had a Lamb or whatever. Yeah. And, like, it's in a different place than it used to be. But it's part of, like, a bigger... There's a... Pl- there's um a place up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire called Strawberry Bank. And I, those houses, I believe, are, are authentic, mm-hmm. like, 17th century homes. But I think they were moved to the spot, or at yeah. least some of them. I, think I don't think... kind of a lot. They all Which were... is mind-boggling to me, that you can just pick that up process. a house. process? Yeah. yeah. I know where I went to school, after I graduated from college, they built a new, like, physics building, and there was this brick house there. And they picked up the brick house, moved it somewhere else, built the whole new building brought the brick house back and attached the two buildings together. And I am so almost an architect still blows my mind. Like when they move a historical house Mm -hmm. that they have to number the boards and like so sometimes they will take them apart because I don't know if they can like survive Right. I don't know. Like, I know those prefab houses they just take them. That's what they're for. And put them together and then piece the two parts together. But apparently because we lived back in in a town we lived in a few moves ago there was a house next to us that the people wanted the land but not the house but the house was on the historical register wow so they had to make a deal with the town to buy some other land wow and move that house wow you must really want that land yeah that's nuts yep so they moved it and they had to kind of like number it and take it apart and reassemble it in the other location that's bonkers that is bonkers. That I can't imagine. That's crazy. And I almost feel like the the city said, yeah, okay, you can do it if you can do this. And yeah. they were like, okay, because okay. most people would be like, mm, no. Weirdly not worth it to me. No. That doesn't Because it must sound... have been a huge amount of money. I can only, yeah, that's crazy. Because you also, then you have to buy the other land. Yeah. But then they were, they did sell that house also. And mm, I guess yeah. did pretty well. Like, so to right. people who That's renovated it. kind of flip, I'm not going to lie. Historically. Right, well, because the people who renovate it now, because it's right. on the register, have, have to, to renovate follow. it. You have to be an historical, like, not just anyone can renovate those houses. Right, exactly. It has to follow specific guidelines for so, what it's supposed to look like. This got to be a ghost there. Absolutely. Don't they say, like, houses that have had, like, a lot of walls moved around are, like, more likely to be haunted or something like that? Because I know we... Yeah, I remember here. You were definitely the person that told me that because we used to live in a house that used to be, like, a rectory and it used to be a school. So it definitely had been renovated a bunch. And you were like, oh, it's super haunted. So thanks, basically, well, my, for that trauma. The apartment that I lived in that used to be... Yeah. And you know, that was definitely... That was super duper haunted, yeah. That was super haunted. Like, all kinds of people had experiences there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, if you move a house, yeah, you're going to get And we wouldn't tell friends because we thought they're not going to want to stay here. And then they would be like, um, I don't know. Like, people I don't want to stay, stay here. once. Yeah. And they'll be like, they wouldn't even come in. They were like, hmm. I'm good. We'd have musicians coming to get sheet music and they would like reach for it over the. Okay. And, <laughs> I wonder and, like, why you don't have more friends. Dog keep... wouldn't come in. She had this German shepherd and he would go to the threshold and just growl at the apartment. He just wouldn't come in. That's bad news. 
I actually didn't mind it. I'm just glad I didn't live there because of the roommates. <laughs> <laughs> the British Museum in London, England, who shockingly, which shockingly enough, mm-hmm. is super duper haunted. No, I simply cannot believe it. With millions of artworks and artifacts spanning millennia, none of which belong to you. Sure thing. It seems like merely a game of odds that there would be at least one spook waiting around the British Museum. At least that's what Noah Angel, an American-born artist, supposed when he started researching hauntings at the museum back in 2016. Sorry not to go to a name thing again, but Noah Angel? Mm. Wow. Okay, sorry, continue. That's like the most Christian-y sounding name I've ever heard in my entire (laughs) life. Go on. Years later, his list of stories told to him mostly by museum guards keeps growing. Most of the people I've gathered these stories from don't self-identify as believing in ghosts, he told The Economist. For the most part, these visitor services and security people are working class people and they don't make a fuss unless something really serious is going on. But what they all seem to agree on as the sort of folk belief of the museum worker is that objects hold energy. In one story, a security guard found himself inexplicably captivated by a 19th century wooden Congolese sculpture of a dog. Sensing that the sculpture had inanimate powers, he pointed his finger towards it and fire alarms in the gallery started going off. Uh, I mean, that's kind of weird, but, you know. Don't love it. Other tales include ones of haunted stairwells, a crying karate caryatid from the Elgin marbles and secret powers from the statues of the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. They don't want to be there. They want to go home. Yeah. Where they should be. 1000%. Angel offered an alternative perspective on the repatriation of objects from Western museums, alluding to the possibility that the objects themselves may be uneasy in their current settings. Ding, ding, ding. Particularly when ritual and ceremonial purposes are neglected. Duh too long didn't read you stole them give them back yeah absolutely <laughs> that's the bottom of line of course they're haunting you yes Ugh. i hear the the louvre it, it didn't i didn't put it on my list but apparently that's also very haunted cool that's exciting i should have put it on my list well next time i didn't want to have to pronounce louvre and then i said it like four times now and i'm pretty <laughs> sure i'm saying it incorrectly you you're saying it how i always heard it I don't think it's Louvre. <laughs> that would be weird. The Louvre. But I feel like there's some little French little accent at the end that is classier yeah. than how I'm saying but it. But since we're not French, we would sound stupid saying it like it's correctly anyway. Louvre. Something yes, French. Probably. And yeah. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not designed for that. No, no, we can't make those sounds. In the conventional discourse around repatriation, contested objects are like pawns. They may be fantastic and big and old, but essentially they are being employed as a symbolic wedge, which two countries with grievances against each other can use to get what they want. Okay, but one of those countries doesn't have an actual grievance. Their grievance is, but I want it. We liked it. I want to show it to my friends. And we have it now. Mm Mm-hmm. And we don't want to give it back. So that's not like... Yeah. These stories seem to suggest that the objects themselves are restless. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get that two countries with grievances against each other. You don't have a grievance, no. Britain. It's not your that's stuff. That's like saying the thief and the person that got stolen from have grievances with each other. Or like, right, somebody like kidnaps someone and then right. you go to family court to work it out. No, that's not, that's not how that works. Exactly. You committed a crime. This person is your victim. Right. Exactly. That's not mutual grievances. Mm-mm. Ugh. 
I have a bunch more stories here, but I'm getting a wrap it up sign from Courtney because yeah, she's kind of mean. I it's don't know almost if you've like you've never met her, but yeah. like she's lovely, but yeah. kind of she's kind of strict. She's deleting so. everything that you're saying. <laughs> she's very strict for and some so, reason. She doesn't. Stop <laughs> button. She hates it when we record she, for six hours. For six, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna pick the best of my remaining stories, of which I have like six more so mm-hmm. I'm just going to pick one because we're going to be here all night But and it's not necessarily the scariest but it's about the coolest person so I just want to talk about her Yeah, and it's the Morris Jumel Mansion in New York City Oh, in the northern stretches of Manhattan lies the Morris Jumel Mansion a mid 18th century federal style home that sometimes hosts art exhibits along with the home's ever specific furnishings comes one apparent epic appropriate apparition Eliza Jumel Aaron Burr's widow, who Ooh. lived in the home when she died in 1865, then one of the richest women in New York City. Good for her. In her day, Jumel was known as a very shrewd businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She, she must have been really old when she died. Yeah, well, wow. she was born in a brothel as the daughter of a prostitute. Oh. She ascended to the height of American society, and gossip was always at her heels because she worked her way up through mm-hmm. marriages and things like that and and she gained power and she gained wealth but she had she was known to lie and be manipulative now i'm going to say through the lens of history mm-hmm. it's possible she wasn't a manipulative liar and was betrayed mm. that way no because she was a successful shrewd woman that people couldn't that simply is not possible right that this is it was just a character assassination Mm. but she clearly was no one's fool right and was a tough person and it is true that she was born in a brothel right and um she was rumored to have murdered burr oh shit yeah for his money because he did die under suspicious circumstances Mm, hamilton part two right and so did her first husband their divorce was meant to be finalized on the day of his death (laughs) so of course if the divorce got finalized she probably wouldn't have gotten yeah. everything yeah that she ended up with suspicious her first husband too died under suspicious circumstances when he fell on a pitchfork in their basement <laughs> okay i'm sorry that does not sound accidental 17 times no i'm just kidding i just added that <laughs> he fell into my knife he fell into my knife 10 times <laughs> Following her own passing, Jumel's ghost stubbornly wouldn't leave the house. In 1921, the Daughters of the American Revolution held an auction to rid the oldest house in Manhattan of any trace of its former inhabitant, Eliza Bowen Jumel, once the richest woman in America. Jumel was not the chaste ideal of a colonial woman typically beatified by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. I've seen Gilmore Girls. This all sounds right to me. Yep. (laughs) There were stories about her being a kept woman in a Providence brothel, abandoning an illegitimate child, feigning death to trick Stephen Jamel into marrying her, which I'm not sure how that would work. He had a thing where he would only marry ghosts? I like, what? I don't know how that would work. I can I'm see curious. feigning illness, but mm-hmm. death? I died. Now you have to marry yeah, me. That's I'm not weird. Sure. And being kicked out of France by Louis XVIII himself. Hmm. Well, like literally kicked, like with his foot. I, I feel I like I'd like more. her. I think we need to have a Hamilton level story specifically about Just Eliza. Just about Eliza. Yeah. So the DIA, DA, 
R attempted to erase her 55-year tenancy at the mansion that that worked out well. Washington Heights by renaming it Washington's headquarters. <laughs> Bundles of Jumel's personal letters, documents which were said to contain stories about her life in the company of Napoleon Bonaparte, Benedict Arnold, Thomas Jefferson, and Aaron Burr were sold on the front lawn for pennies. Oh man, you would that love is... to get a... There needs to be a movie about her. <sighs> yeah, and that's just like, why... that's still history just because you don't like her ghost. And you don't like, oh, that frustrates me. And this is me. in the 20s, like it was already yeah, history. It was already history. If you didn't want them there, at least hand them over to some museum. and The say, Library hey, of Congress, I don't know. You might not have liked her, but she's talking about people who were kind of integral to the founding of the American. I think she sounds cool, and I bet most of the stories about her were just were just attempts to destroy her character because she was probably And even tough. if they even if they weren't, like that's still important history. Yeah. You know? But Ugh. I mean the part about her murdering, I mean that if that's true. Mm, yeah. Mm, but not great, you know, but Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton, so whatever, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. 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 Play stupid then, games, win stupid prizes. That's what they say. So what do you think about my stories of haunted museums? I got a lot more. A lot yeah. more. I'm gonna put, oh, oh, my sources. I'm going to put the links up mm-hmm. and you guys can read them. And I only picked a few. There's a ton more because as yeah. we discuss every time we do an episode, every mm-hmm. square inch of the place is haunted. Of course. Haunted. It tops bottom. Yeah. So um, my articles were on news.artnet.com, mentalfloss.com, and thegothamist.com. And I'll put those links cool. on the website. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I like those stories. I'm glad none of them were museums that are like near my house or something because that yeah. would bum me out. Um, I'm but yeah, pretty sure those are also haunted. They're super definitely haunted. Yeah. 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 No, actually, I think there's a place near my house that I know is haunted. So maybe not the Museum of Science, but I bet the the mm. I bet the Museum of Fine Art is haunted. Oh, wicked! The yeah. Isabella Gardner Stewart Museum. Oh, is that place is. Haunted. Mm-hmm. There's no way that place is not haunted. It's very cool there. Yes, very cool. Famous. You know. Painting, stealing situation happened there. But, um, yeah, definitely also haunted for sure. Everywhere is. I mean, I think most of the country is haunted. We're talking around the world, so. Yeah. Got a lot of ground to cover, actually, is what we're saying. Because we're always doing shit. It's always something with us. Mm -hmm. Once again, shitty in life, continue to be shitty in death. Annoying in life, continue to be annoying in death. You just go and you're just a ghost, but you're just staying around here. There's no, there's like none no other thing that might be boring but it might be better than like you know hell it would be boring but i would just be like in theaters all the time watching movies that's true free and then hanging out at beaches it would be less boring now i feel like a lot of like really cool fun places to hang out are not as haunted maybe they are and the ghosts are just having so much fun why would they bother doing all the haunting stuff We'd just be having ghost parties, like hanging out. Mm-hmm. I'd just be hanging out in pretty places. I mean, yeah. you don't have to shovel snow. Probably not, yeah. Unless that was your Unless job. that's your ghost job. Yeah, that could be your ghost job. I don't know. I'd love to find out in a long <sighs> time. I don't, want, I don't want a ghost job. I don't want a ghost job either. No. Not even my What if you have job? to pay ghost rent? That'd be fucked up. <laughs> that would be... What if you get to the other side... And it's just... You don't a, have your quarter under your tongue or it's whatever It's just the hell? capitalism. Like, it's, that's how yeah. it's run. Let's be honest. Probably is. <laughs> Bad news. Hate to tell you. God damn it. <laughs> I hope it isn't. <laughs> so angry. I'd be really pissed off. But, um... 
Yeah, I anyway. think I think that's all we have for this week. Ending yeah. on a downer with yours, which we I don't mean we'd have had do. more, but you know who? Exactly, a certain Let somebody us. doesn't want to edit forty-eight hours of footage for one episode. It's really bizarre. Ooh, I have to work, go to class, <laughs> for and <free>. eat sometimes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode and want to be part of the conversation, join our social media community on Facebook and Instagram at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, Twitter at CDSI Pod. If you have a story you'd like us to cover or an experience of your own you'd like us to feature on the podcast, let us know at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac at gmail.com. If you follow us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a good review. Say something nice about us. It makes us feel good. It helps with the algorithm. And you can go to our website at cul-de-sac-insomniac.com where you can read our show notes and listen to the podcast. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.